from HerbMentor.com. This is Herb Mentor Radio. You are listening to Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Dr. Peter Gale. Peter has a Ph.D. in botany and left a career in academia to follow his dreams of helping others learn the uses of plants for food and medicine. For nearly 50 years, since 1960, he has been researching recipes and folklore of wild plants. Peter has written 13 books, tons of articles, and has taught all over during that time. He is the director of Goosefoot Acres Center for Resourceful Living in Ohio, and they sell books focused on edible plants, the Amish, and the Northeast Ohio area. Like myself, Peter is a champion of the dandelion as he wrote The Dandelion Celebration, A Guide to Unexpected Cuisine, and is the sole distributor of Dandy Blend, a delicious herbal coffee-like beverage. You can find out about Peter Dandy Blend and a link to his blog at dandyblend.com, D-A-N-D-Y, blend.com. USA Today called him the king of dandelions. Good morning, America, the wizard of weeds, Dr. Peter Gale, welcome. Happy to be with you. You know, Peter, I felt like that intro, like I'm introducing James Brown of uh, of edible plants here, the king, the king of dandelions, the wizard of weeds. There you go. <laughs> I mean, those are two well, titles that I can only dream to have. You know, you're definitely yeah. blessed. <laughs> one of my one of my my um, uh, passwords that I use uh, in uh, on my various you know, website, not websites, but the various uh, <laughs> websites that I that I contact. Is 007, so you see, I, can, I look at it as James Bond also. Yeah, the James Bond band, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, you know, Peter Actually, was... there's a bunch of us that do uh-huh. this kind of work uh, mm-hmm. that are full-time professionals in edible wild plants, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Yule Gibbons is the one that people most commonly compare us to. Back in the 60s, Yule Gibbons wrote the book Stalking the Wild Asparagus, right. and there's several others following that. And everybody keeps saying, oh, you're the Yule Gibbons of the East Coast, or you're the Yule Gibbons of the West Coast, and whatnot. And so for some years there, I was supposedly the Yule Gibbons of the East. <laughs> <laughs> People like Steve Brill and and, mm. and John Kalis and others are taking over those titles now, but as I'm getting older, <laughs> still, it's, it's, a, it's a fun thing to be compared. You, you but know, no one's... It was um yeah it was my love for dandelions that really led me to your book and dandy blend early on when I was learning and um, I think I even had a bumper sticker with defenders of the dandelion and that was you too right yeah. that's me too yeah <laughs> Cele- cele- yeah. Celebrate dandelions if you can't beat them, eat them. I love it. Uh, call, call Defenders of Dandelions at 800-697-4858. You know, it's still the same was, number. It was the one thing I didn't like about selling my old car. Yeah, <laughs> getting rid of that bumper sticker. Hey, we'll send you another bumper sticker. Yes. Got plenty of them here. Yeah, I'll put a note down here now. Send John a bumper sticker. Okay. Now, now um, you uh, used to do dandelion cook-offs and gatherings too right yeah we did for 10 years we did the national dandelion cook-off here in dover ohio mm-hmm. um we uh did an organization that made wine or makes wine uh brighton bush brighton bach, <laughs> let's see brighton bush herb symposium is out there right mm-hmm. brighton bach wine cellars is the organization here and they were putting on a dandelion mayfest Mm-hmm. Right after Dandelion Celebration was issued, and I was down there, pretty much selling them some Dandy Blend, 
uh, and uh, we got to talking about the fact they were putting this festival on. I said, well, look, we go hand in hand with each other. I can just slide my National Deadline cook-off right in under your umbrella, mm-hmm. and we can have this thing go go national. And so for 10 years, we did a, a, a national cook-off, and we would get people in from all over the United States bringing their recipes in to, to try to to compete for the the best dandelion recipe in the country for that year. Now, what what you know, I just so for you, what led you to want to do that in in, in dandelion? You know, like what, well, what was your story with dandelion? Yeah, back in in 1948, my dad died and left the family with no money, um, and uh, my mother didn't really know how she was going to feed us. Friend of hers came over one day and told her that we could live off of lamb's quarters, which is a wild spinach, uh, until she learned how to make a living. And so uh, back in the 40s, this was not an unusual or an uncommon thing. Mm-hmm. And my mother didn't say, ooh, weeds, we can't eat weeds, you know, like they would today. But back then she said, oh, that sounds intriguing. Peter, go out and gather some. And so she took me outside, and the, the, the lady that told my mother took my brother and I outside showed us the plant, and we started gathering the young tops of it every day, bringing it in for breakfast. My mother made every kind of spinach recipe you could imagine. Mm. And I thought it was great. It was fantastic. And as I was walking out there to gather these tops, I began asking myself, what else is there out here mm-hmm. that's edible as well? And <clears throat> that question sort of hung on my mind for a number of years. didn't really do much research as a nine-year-old on it. But I was curious about that. Uh, and so as I got through high school, I uh, worked at the logging camps in Northern California when I was uh, 17, 16, 17 years old. And my friends and I would go out after work and gather berries, huckleberries and, and uh, other kinds of berries, salmon berries, uh, and take them home. And their mothers would make them into all kinds of good things, uh, jellies and pies and, and whatever. And I became fascinated again with the whole topic. Uh, majored in botany in college, got a master's degree in, in taxonomy, plant taxonomy, and then a Ph.D. in in, uh, in plant ecology. Uh, but all the time I was cu- curious about how people were using backyard weeds and other wild vegetables for food and for medicine. And as I found information about it, I would write it down and I would begin filing it. And so by the time I'd been at it for a number of years, uh, I had probably the largest collection of recipes and folklore for wild foods in in America. Wow! This was by by 1979, and at the time I was the I was the uh, coordinator of uh, international studies for Cleveland State University. Uh, had been going overseas to England and doing uh, work, workshops with my students from Cleveland uh, on environmental studies of England and Wales, and discovered one summer a bookstore in York that had a, a display in the window that was all kinds of books on edible wild plants. Uh, and they were coffee table style books, mm. you know, all good things around us and the countryside cookbook and Roger Phillips' wild foods and, mm-hmm. and so on. And I was fascinated. So I went in and I found it. I, I was looking for them in the in the nature section, which is where they'd be in America. But they weren't. They were in the cookbook sections. And there were a bunch of regional cookbooks. Most cookbooks had recipes for wild uh, foods in them and so on. And so when my students went home that year, I began going around and interviewing 
farmers' wives and suburban wives and others and discovered that they were using these as vegetables. They weren't weeds to them. They were weeds to us, but not to them. They would go out and they would they would harvest these. As they weeded their garden, they would take everything that was edible, put it in mm. a colander, and bring it in. And they even had a little section of their garden, which was a wild garden, uh, that they had extras of purslane and extras of metals and so on. So if they didn't get enough from weeding their beds, they could go over and supplement them. Well, this fascinated me because this was not happening in the U.S., and it was something I thought Americans should become aware of. So when I came back home, I uh, got my graduate students to work on uh, on the uh, files. I had seven file drawers of recipes and folklore uh, already collected that hadn't really been sorted much. And I got them to work on organizing them with the intent that for every plant that I had at least 50 recipes for, I'd do a book for it. I mean, there's some people who like carrots, some people who don't. The ones who like carrots want a cookbook on carrots. The ones who don't, don't want it. So I assumed that people would probably like some of these wild plants and not like others. And so they would like to have specific cookbooks on the ones that they do like. Well, then the question became, I mean, we came up with 26 plants, 26 common backyard weeds, and we had at least 50 recipes for And then the question became, well, which one do we start with? And uh, the criteria for shortlisting those 26 was to uh, was to ask which of them was the most popular, which did we have the most recipes for, and which were the most recognizable. And two of them came up to, uh, near the top. Uh, dandelions with 643 recipes from uh, 632 recipes from 43 countries and uh, violets with 128 recipes from I don't know how many countries. But dandelion clearly was the winner. And the irony of that was that dandelion was my least favorite plant. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like most everybody else, I'd tried dandelion, and it was bitter, man. I mean, who's going to eat this bitter thing, and who would want it? But all of a sudden, when you find that, that all of Italy is eating dandelions, and, and most of the other part of the world is are doing it also, you begin asking why. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it about this plant that makes it so good? Mm-hmm. And so in researching it, we found that the f- f- first thing was that it was the most nutritious vegetable in the world. Uh, it had more nutrients uh, and more uh, healing properties than just about anything else. Uh, and secondly, it was easy to mask the bitterness. That Just like chocolate, you add a little something sweet to it, and all of a sudden, it's not bitter anymore. It's now got a very nice flavor to it. Mm. And so we began researching how people or what foods people use to complement dandelion and the recipes. Found that tomatoes were very big and, and uh, that uh, cheese and meats were very big and, and you know, bread cubes and, and whatnot. These, uh, all these things would mask the bitterness of, of dandelions in addition to a sweet and sour dressing on a salad or a raspberry vinaigrette or whatever. And we all of a sudden had a book. Wow. That was going to be the first one. And the, the first book uh, was originally titled On the Trail of the Yellow-Flowered Earth Nail because dandelions <laughs> in China are called yellow-flowered earth nails. Right. And since my column in the Business of Herbs for so many years was on the trail of the volunteer vegetable, we were going to carry that forward into the book titles, and in this case, on the trail of the yellow-flowered earth nail. Uh, and that was published uh, 
in a 179-page version, uh, eight and a half by eleven, did it at Office Max, uh, spiral bound it, and uh-huh. sold it for from 19, uh, I guess about 1983 or 84 until 1991, and it was becoming so popular that we decided we better put it into a t- typical standard trade paperback format, uh-huh. and so I began working on a a more sophisticated version of it that had all the information that would make it a Bible for dandelion lovers. Yes. So it, had, it had all the health benefits. It had the history. It had the botany of it. It had, you know, recipes for the flowers and for the leaves and for the, for the roots. And we, in 1994, published that book called The Dandelion Celebration of Guide to Unexpected Cuisine. And that's where we got started. From, there, from there on... Uh, I became known as Dr. Dandelion and you know, <laughs> all the other kinds of things. And, and Food Television Network got on my case and did a did an exotic food show that played year after year after year on the Food Television Network of the Dandelion Cook-Off. And the Cook-Offs brought us a lot of a lot of notoriety. Finally, in 2003, <clears throat> US, USA Today featured me as the King of Dandelions. And, the whole cover story in the lifestyle section on it. That's great. So that's how it goes on. Holding, holding a copy, holding a copy of it right here. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, what really fascinated me was the, especially in here where like a lot of the nutritional charts, um, right. which are very helpful because you know when you're teaching classes out there, it's nice to photocopy some things and have some proof. You Absolutely. Know, and say, yeah, um, yeah. and it's a lot of these old photos too of people selling dandelions, yeah, and yeah. old products and all. But you know what? Yeah. What, what got me, uh, you know, really interested in in, in dandelion after re- what your book did was kind of break it through for me as far as actually right. using it in my life. Right. Other than that, for me, it was um, noticing that people, how many people, the, the fact that so many people sprayed and that was the number one weed culprit out there to ortho and all these kinds of people is what um you know led me environmentally as as a kind of a a, um a symbol environmentally to um you know for us to stop poisoning ourselves and our kids and our rivers and streams and everything and our fish um is to um you know, to spread the education of this plant, and then hopefully less people will spray, and then it will have that residual effect, which is why Dandelion is in the logo of my company. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's true. Now, you know, that's interestingly, uh, the whole, there's a whole story behind that particular aspect, too. Mm-hmm. When you look around the country, you find an awful lot of get you know, stop using pesticide organizations, and mm-hmm. they get out there and they give the old negative negative pitch, you know, mm-hmm. stop using it, you're killing these people, you're doing this and doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my approach to it from the beginning has always been if you help people learn what the plants are and to appreciate them and how to use them, that you will no longer be wanting to kill them. Exactly. And so my answer to the pesticide groups has been you're going about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You're, you're creating an environment where people are you know, not going to be stopping using pesticides. They're just going to brand you as kooks. Exactly. And, and so I said the way to do it is to help people get to, to appreciate them. A very good friend of mine, Betsy Bancroft, who works for Rosemary Gladstone. We've, we've interviewed her on this show. Oh, have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Betsy is a very close friend. And she was down with her with her brother, I guess her brother or her 
Yeah, let's for, for it could be something. It could be uncle or somebody else. But she was down with with a, a family member in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, staying with them for a while. And and her uh, the the son of this family, <clears throat> who was in his preteens, uh, became very interested in going around the the yard with her. And she taught him how to eat uh, Johnny Jump Ups and and you know other wild flowers and so on out of the garden. <clears throat> and and uh, he got fascinated by that, and he took him to school one day uh, to feed to his kids at the show-and-tell time, to his, to his classmates in show-and-tell time. And they ate them, and they loved them, and they went home and started eating them from their yard, too. Mm. Uh, Oxalis was another one that she taught them how to eat. And they they started using these, and they their parents were very appalled at this because they said, well, we're spraying these things. There's poisons all over that stuff. And they said, well, we're going to continue eating them, so you better stop putting the poisons on. And it, it cost the lawn chemical companies an awful lot of business because these kids had just picked up on, on what Betsy had taught one, one of the kids, and with, uh, the whole subdivision was uh, pretty soon off of pesticides. Wow. And this is something that we have hoped and, and do hope will be the result of the kind of teaching that we do. Now, back in um, the late 1900s, maybe it was in uh, about 1996, uh, maybe a little earlier than that, uh, we got wind of uh, the efforts of the Environmental Council of Carbondale, Colorado, Mm -hmm. under the direction of Dr. John Phillip, who is a chiropractor there, who were interested in getting people to stop using pesticides and were telling them all the reasons you shouldn't be using them. But he got the idea that if we taught people how to use these plants, then they wouldn't be wanting to do that. And so he got in touch with me, and we began feeding him the information he needed from our newspaper, Dandelion Doings, and from the books and so on. And they began working toward establishing Dandelion as their town flower. And in early 2000s, I think it was, they were successful in getting the town to adopt dandelions as a town flower. Wow. And they got national publicity, international publicity for doing this and began educating people about the, the value of dandelions. Uh, and so it, it's taken off. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where been, in 1994, when I first published my dandelion celebration book, I would do workshops and be a keynote speaker at workshops and cooking, you know, kinds of workshops and so on. And we'd have a time before we started, and I'd ask people how many of them ate dandelions, and most of them, or some of them, raised their hands and said they had. And in one in one particular workshop in Morgantown, West Virginia, <clears throat> I, I did that, and uh, several people raised their hands and. Uh, a couple of people said, oh, how can you eat dandelions? They're awful. They're weeds, blah, 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 you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. <clears throat> and these people started letting the ones who were criticizing know why dandelions were so good. And I realized that at that time, there were a lot of people out there who keep their mouth shut when somebody starts criticizing dandelions because they get intimidated. They don't want to be uh, attacked. They don't want people to come after them. But if there are three or four of them there, or five of them, they get the their, their courage will, will increase, and they'll, get the, and, and they'll start speaking up. Mm-hmm. And then the others will say, yeah, 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 you know. And all of a sudden, you've got yourself a group that is defending dandelions. 
I was I, I came away from this <laughs> I came away from this Morgantown experience on my way to to uh, Maureen Rogers' uh, her business getaway in Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh-huh. and all the way over there, I began thinking. Now look, if we could start an organization called the Defenders of Dandelions and get all these people around the country that are supporters of it. Uh, we could then maybe have a, a, a good, solid base of people who would go out and, and uh, let those who t- t- were opposed to Dandelions know why they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And so that's how it got born. And when I got to Albuquerque, I went over to Kinko's and you know cranked my, my little computer up and, and put out a, a, an invitation for people to join Defenders of Dandelions and came away from that business getaway with, I think, 20 or 30 members. Uh, at at that time, and it was perfect. It was it, it went. It, it it just kept growing from that point onward. You, you know, you know what I'm seeing here, Peter. I'm seeing getting together and and pitching to the the some cable thing where we do a reality TV show of doing exactly <laughs> what you talked just said with dandelions. We pick it up, kind of like Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution yeah. on ABC, but with dandelions. <laughs> Absolutely. It's something I've dreamed of. As I've gotten older, I've gotten less mobile, and so I've not. And Dandy Blend has taken up so much of our time in marketing it and producing it mm-hmm. uh, that we haven't had really the the time or energy to to go to take the reality TV cable network route. I love it's that. The idea. ideal way to go. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm looking for. I'm looking for a manager. You know, if I can, if I can, if I can. Uh, if I can uh, uh, duplicate myself and make another, uh, you know, and then I can. Oh yeah, yeah. I can. I can put that person on that project. Yeah, me, me too. <laughs> but okay. I don't know if my wife would want another one of me. Uh, I, I know my wife wouldn't well, want another one of me. Speaking of which, congratulations on being married fifty years to your wife. Well, thank Roma. you. Yeah, uh, that yeah was... both of us have somehow found selective hearing and the ability to put up with one another's uh, <laughs> weaknesses and shortcomings. <laughs> we, I... We've made it through. We finally, on August 31st, we, we crossed that, that boundary. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Appreciate it. You were just mentioning Dandelion before, and I want to mention that... Uh, that on the Dandy Blend website, you've got like recipes, like in case anyone buys it and and doesn't know this, um, there's like Dandy Blend latte, Dandy tiramisu. Yeah. I even kind of like looked at what you had and kind of kind of came up in my own head, you know, with a, uh, you know, because it was hot out one time and I I, right. I I blended, I took the Vitamix or the blender out and blended it up yeah. with some ice and milk. And, there you uh, go. Made a really nice. It's <laughs> really good. You add, add, add a little flavor to it, cinnamon and nutmeg, and it becomes an Oregon chai. Ooh. You add some <laughs> chocolate to it, it becomes a mocha, wonderful mocha. You can make ice cream out of it. <coughs> Excuse me a second here. Uh, sorry. Mm-hmm. We are uh, fighting one of these new fall colds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, that, that's one thing we've done. Now, I do need to bring your attention to something. You mm-hmm. mentioned that our website is www.dandyblend.com. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our old and our, our, our basic website. That's the one you can order on. Mm-hmm. But we've been working on a new one called www.dandyblend.biz, B-I-Z, which is available for anybody to go to. Oh, okay. And on, and on there, the cookbook is available for free. Oh. Magic. The many faces of Dandy Blend. You just click on the, the products, and then on on, on books, 
And then when you get to books, you know, the first uh, item there is many pages of Dandy Blend, the PDF file. And then it says free now, and you click on the free now, and it'll download the, the PDF file for you. Well, on, on, the, on the Urbenter page, I'll link right to that. So okay, we'll that's that's a good place. They just can't order from that file yet. Okay, okay. Hopefully in another week or two they will be able to. But right now, and then it'll be rolled over to dandyblend.com. I mean, they'll be merged together and... There won't be a dandyblend.biz and separate. Okay, cool. Uh, all right, but it, until then, that's the site that has on it all the all the good information, all the new recipes. Uh, Cindy Lauper's <laughs> endorsement of dandy. Really? Oh, yeah. Cindy Lauper. <laughs> she has it every Sunday morning. You wow! Know, so it's like the it, girls just want to have fun with dandy blend. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. Actually, it was a, there was an article in the New York Times. Uh, she's of my she's, generation. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, well, mine too. I like it. <laughs> not, not really exactly, but I sure appreciated it. Uh, but Cindy Lauper uh, was featured in the New York Times about a month ago or two months ago, maybe a little even longer than that, but not no, this year. Uh, and it asked what you do on a Sunday morning. And she said, and there her husband goes off to get bagels, and I make my dandy blend up. Awesome. You know, and then she tells how she found dandy blend and why it's so good for her. And, you know, there's what, it allows her to, to be able to sing the way she wants to without getting hoarse voice and so on. Wow. Uh, and so she's <laughs> it's great. So I, I just copied the whole thing and put it in my website. Who'd have thunk? Yeah, who'd have <laughs> Yeah. I I would have thunk, but I wouldn't have known that she thunk it. <laughs> exactly. And she did, and it was great. Awesome. So we were very happy with that. Uh, uh, but we're looking for more endorsements from more celebrities and so. Is on. Any celebrities I, listening? Yes, yeah, yeah, any of you celebrities. Get, yeah. send me my, exactly. We have a fan page too, Dandy Blend Fan Club. Uh, Dandy Blend. We haven't told what Dandy Blend is, really. Yet. Oh yeah, we didn't. I think we ought to do that. <laughs> Dandelion is okay, but Dandy Blend is the real thing. You know? uh, back when I was when I was teaching in England, I ran into a product called uh, Symington's Dandelion uh, Coffee Substitute, which is made out of roasted dandelion roots, and it was just wonderful. And it found that it was a big seller in, in Europe, uh, particularly in England. Uh, and so I came back home. I couldn't find it in the States uh, and decided after I'd gotten, I'd left the university and started building my own business uh, that I would like to uh, import this product. And so I found that Symington had sold it to, to another company in England and they had tried to make it in bigger quantities commercially and couldn't do it with their formula. So they sort of screwed up the whole thing. And I couldn't bring it in because it didn't taste like anything. Mm. So I uh, was frustrated by that one time when I was up in Toronto, wandering around Kensington Market in a little herb shop, and I found a product called Tuna's Dandelion, Instant Dandelion Beverage, uh, and brought that home, tried that, found it was just exactly what I wanted as far as flavor went, and started bringing it into the country, introducing it, at the uh, medical herbal conferences around the country, and most of the top herbalists in the country loved it, started introducing it to their patients. And so by 1995, I had, uh, I, I had um, uh, gotten so many customers for it that the people in Canada couldn't produce it fast enough for me anymore, and they gave me the rights to private label it. So when I got the formula to, to private label from, I looked it over and I found that they were way too low on dandelion for it to be therapeutic. Mm. 
And so I quadrupled the amount of dandelion in it, uh-huh. roasted dandelion root, and uh, we renamed it Dandy Blend. Uh, and it's a product that is made out of roasted dandelion root extract. Uh, the extracts actually have five uh, common herbs and, and grains, uh-huh. uh, barley and rye grains, and the roots of chicory, dandelion, and beetroot. Uh, those are the five ingredients. There's nothing else in it except those five ingredients. They're roasted. They are then blended in the proper proportions. They are then extracted by water only, which leaves the gluten back, so it's gluten-free, uh, the gluten in the barley and rye. And so it's gluten-free. And it is then spray-dried and put into the containers, and that's how we sell it. Uh, we make enough now to supply not only this country, but Hong Kong and Singapore and Malaysia and all kinds wow, of other places. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, and it's, it's, we, we have relatively little limit on it. We, we're getting it made for us in Poland uh, because over there, the medicinal herbs are the way that they treat ills. They don't use very many allopathic medicines. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of medicinal herb farms who are growing chicory, dandelion, echinacea, and all the other things. And so there's no limit on supply, or relatively little, small limit on supply, and we can get as much as we want. So we have not yet come to a place where we are being limited by our, by the, the people over there who manufacture it for us, mm-hmm. uh, because we uh, run out of dandelion or anything. Yeah. So <laughs> and you shouldn't the, really run out of dandelion. <laughs> no, no, you really shouldn't. But that means somebody's got to harvest it. You know, you, you people look at it here and they laugh at that. But you know when you <laughs> when you, say, when my you figure I, I got to get this stuff out of the ground <laughs> and I got to process it and get it roasted and all that, that's not happening here. Yeah. I mean, Trout Lake Farm up in Washington is doing it, and Pacific Botanicals and a few others are doing it, but they're doing it in small scale. Mm-hmm. And so in the United States, it's being done, but but it's not being done anywhere near the number the, the quantities that we would need to keep this product rolling along at less than the price of coffee. Right. So when we, we came in with Dandelion or Dandy Blend, one of the things that we decided we wanted to do was make sure that it always stayed below the price of coffee. Uh-huh. And right now, it is when you buy it in the two-pound bag, it's at seven cents a cup. Wow. You can't, you can't buy coffee for that. Right. And you're getting all the health benefits, all the therapeutic benefits of Dandelion Root, along with, chair, with, with chicory and, and beetroot, which is a good blood strengthener, and uh, barley and rye. Mm-hmm. Uh, which are good sources of vitamin D and, and other things. So you're getting a tremendous product without any of the, any side effects at all. Uh, and, and people are finding that it's uh, it, it, we, we we have not had to had to advertise it much because uh, it goes by word of mouth. Exactly. When people when people try it. They either like it or they don't like it. If they don't like it, they don't ever look at it again. <laughs> if they do like it, they like it so much that they tell all their friends about it. Well, you know, it and helps me keep the not want to go for the second cup of coffee. Yeah, you well, know, that's true, too. Uh, or it, you could, it yeah, or you can blend it. Yeah, you can blend coffee. You can do half and half. Oh, blend and coffee. I never thought and A lot that. of people start to start the day off with a, with a half and half. <laughs> like that. I never thought of that. <clears throat> yeah, you can do that, or you can you can have one cup of this in the morning, or you have one cup of coffee in the morning, and then you have the rest of the day dandy blend. Mm-hmm. You know, it tastes the same. It, you know, it, it costs the same, mm-hmm. and it it has it's good for you compared to coffee, which isn't good for you. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So anyway, dandy blend is available. 
uh, through our website, www.dandyblend.com. And the information is in dandyblend.biz, the more complete information. And then we have a Dandy Blend fan club on Facebook. That's cool. Well, this has all been yeah. fat. Th- this, th- I mean, you know, the Dandy Blend thing, I mean, for those listening, it's kind of been fascinating for me since it's uh, just so folks know it's actually something that uh it's been in my life for about 10 years or so <laughs> so yeah, right. so i'm just curious I mean, it's just fascinating to hear the background story for me and how there it's done go. and everything yeah, sure. so i'm just enjoying listening um, everything has a backstory right? yeah i know i know you probably go. <laughs> you know um you know what some folks listening to this now um you know maybe might be the first time listening to Urmentor Radio or even knowing about com or anything like that and and who knows maybe just the idea of eating wild plants or dandelions is, is strange to them um, so, um, if someone's getting into this and, and, and new at it and you're out, you're teaching at one of your, um, classes or workshops that you're doing, what are, um, some things that you often, uh, say to folks? I'm sure you, dandelion must be one that you often say is a great one to start with, but, you know, do you, do you ever have a, a wrap as far as, you know, precautions or what plants they should do or how sure. they should gather? Yeah. That would you be great. Cr- that would be yeah, great we, to hear. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, uh. The, the the big thing about these plants, the thing you want people to first know about them, is that 80% of the plants that you call weeds that grow in your garden are, in fact, uh, vegetables that were brought here by immigrants uh, back when they came in the 17, 1800s, even 1600s, uh, because their immigration company said, look, you know, bring all the plants that you like, that you like to eat or to use for medicine. You're not liable to find them in America. Mm-hmm. And so if you bring them, then you can plant them, and they will be available to you. And many of them did bring them, did plant them. Uh, the seeds usually were small, and they got out of uh, they, they they got away from them out of their yards, and they traveled through the air or through uh, on the feet of of animals, birds, and so on. And they got spread over the country <clears throat> to the degree that a plant like plantain, for example, uh, became known as as uh, as white man's foot. Because everywhere the white man mm-hmm. came into the Indian territories, uh, Plantain was right with him, mm-hmm. came right behind him. And so he wasn't there before. All of a sudden it was there, and the white men taught him how to use them. Plantain, for example, which is so incredibly common in everybody's yard, uh, or almost everybody's yard, is in fact one of the best poultice plants that there is for healing uh, cuts and bruises and wounds. Uh, things that uh, fester for a while and don't want to heal, it's tremendous for that. And it also is good. You drink the tea of it, and it helps you stop smoking. So there's a lot of benefits from one plant, that, mm-hmm. that plantain. And most of these plants that we're talking about, we're talking about such things as lamb's quarters, dandelion, burdock, uh, violets. Violets are the second richest source of vitamin C in the world. Uh, and you're talking about oxalis, sourgrass, a purslane, which is a very rich source of omega-3 fatty acids. You know, all of these plants are available to everybody. I could go out in my backyard now, stand in one spot, spread my legs a little bit, and look down, and I'll find about 15 different edible wild plants, including the clovers and the daisies and the, you know, all of those other kinds of plants. Uh, and so, what I try to help people understand is that. You need to know the plants individually. You start with the plants you know, and then you use them, and then you learn them one at a time. 
You don't go into the grocery store and instantly know everything that's on a produce stand when you're seven years old. Mm -hmm. You know, you go in and you've got mom's got to teach you the difference between cabbage and lettuce. And you'll go and pick up cabbage for lettuce two or three, maybe four times before mother finally gets through your thick skull that that's not lettuce. You know, this is what lettuce looks like. And then finally you bring the right stuff. Uh, kids are the ones that learn best. My kids, by the time they were four or five years old, knew 25 different edible wild plants, knew how to get them, you know, where to find them and, and, and how to bring them in, and in many cases, how to prepare them. Uh, it, it just, they, they just soaked this stuff up. It was just incredible. I have a daughter now who still teaches edible wild plants out in Utah where she where she's moved, you know, as an adult. Uh, and so it's it's a it's a it's a good thing. But the important thing is that you don't want to eat things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. That's first caution. You wanna make sure you know the plant. If you know dandelion, you can eat dandelion. You can use it in its various ways. We encourage people to get a, a coach to come to your place. And you go around with those little plant stakes that you put in, in the garden and next to the tomatoes and whatnot to tell you what kind of variety it is. Hmm. And you write on, when he tells you what a plant is, you take and write the name of the plant, lamb's quarters or oxalis, on the stake, and you put it in right next to the plant. Hmm. And then you watch that plant as it grows through the season. And then you can see it, and you can see all its different forms, you know how it looks at different times, what the different parts are, if you can eat the, the fruit, you'll see when the fruit comes on and you know, what it looks like. And then that plant will become yours. And from then on, you'll be able to use that plant. But I do not encourage people to be eating plants that they don't know. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to be able to do that, to, to, to identify the plants accurately. Now, today, the, my, my book, The Volunteer Vegetable Sampler, Recipes for Backyard Weeds, profiles 41 common backyard weeds. Mm-hmm. There's an index at the beginning of it. There are recipes for all the different plants. Uh, there are both medicinal and culinary recipes. Uh, and then if you want to see what they look like, you either call someone in that knows and have them take you around the yard to show you, or you go online and it, you know you put the name in the browser. You put burdock in the browser and hit it and and you'll find every so many different pictures of or put burdock pictures in it, and you know, the whole whole line of the search engine will will, will kick out <laughs> picture after picture after picture, and with the ten different pictures, you'll be able to pretty accurately identify what you've got in your yard. And we have HerbMentor.com now for this, too. <laughs> there you go. Oh, very good. Okay. HerbMentor.com will do it for us. Uh, right. But I always recommend, and like you said, if, you, if it's possible, that if there's somebody in your area doing teaching live classes, please yep. seek them yep. out, support them, and take those live yeah. classes, because nothing beats the yep. hands-on. Yeah, well, let me let me suggest a, a few for those of our listeners in different mm-hmm. parts of the country. Mm-hmm. If you're in the New York area, Wild Man Steve Brill mm-hmm. in New York City is one of is one of the best. Mm-hmm. And he runs classes regularly. Uh, if you're out in the West Coast in, in Portland and uh, in, in that area, the other one out is Dr. John Kalis, K A L L A S. He runs Wild Food Adventures, and he does workshops all the time. And he's one to get to know. Down in the L.A. region, it would be Christopher Niergesh, mm. N-Y-E-R-G-E-S, a Hungarian name. He runs the School of Self, Self-Reliance, mm. and uh, he's one to look up. Uh, find him. Those are three of the top people in the country. 
who are doing things. In, in Minnesota, you want to look up Sam Thayer, mm-hmm. uh, T-H-A-Y-E-R, who's written a, a very, very fine book, and he's a very fine uh, edible wild plant uh, teacher. Uh, and, and around the country, there are others who are a lesser, uh, not as involved and haven't written as much, uh, who you can find that are also good at that. If you contact any of us, uh, Kalis, myself, uh, Brill, or those others, we can get you to people that are local for for. And uh, I want to mention we do have an earlier Herb Mentor Radio episode with uh, Steve Brill. And uh, oh, John right. Kalis, do you want to mention if you Google him, K A. L-L-A-S, has a uh, excellent new book. It's oh yeah, he's a, a phenomenal book. Yeah. It's 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 a it's it's well, yeah, definitely it's definitely a work a life's yeah. work. It's amazing. Yeah, the thing the, the thing that is interesting about this, and then most of us will tell you that you want to be learning from people who are actually doing this mm. stuff. Mm. You don't. Most of the edible wild plant books that are out on the market, or many of them at least are written by people who will go into other books and get the information mm-hmm. and then pass it on to you. Mm-hmm. Kalis and Thayer and Brill and myself and uh, Niergish, along with Linda Runyon also, who I guess is in New oh. Jersey right now. And and she has uh, two her mentor radio interviews up there. <laughs> Linda okay, Runyon, we, there we love Linda. <laughs> uh, 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 all of us have been doing this for 50 years, uh, you know, as many years as we have been, and we we eat the plants. We know the plants. We you know we're writing from personal experience, and those are the people you really want to try to learn from if you can. Uh, I've I've been with people who who supposedly are experts in this field, mm-hmm. and they introduce people to a particular plant in the backyard, and it's the wrong one. Right, you know, right. It's not it's not unedible. There are very few plants that are poisonous in in the backyard, and there are plants that are said to be poisonous that really aren't. Uh, milkweed uh, buds and, and and flowers and whatnot are are very edible. You, supposedly, you have to prepare them properly by submersing them in boiling water for three minutes and then pouring that off and then putting them back in boiling water and doing that a second time and then finally they they all the poisonous alkaloids are, are gone from from them. Uh, people like Sam Thayer say, well, you know, that's not necessarily the case. He's got a lot of people that eat them raw. And so, and deadly nightshade has many plants. The, the, the tomato family that has in it potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, and so on, uh, also has plants that are poisonous, belladonna and the deadly nightshade and so on. But the black, uh, oh, what is it? <laughs> the, the black, anyway, Solanum nigrum uh, is uh, the black nightshade. Is, is one that is not poisonous. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you go into the literature from other countries, uh, from Europe particularly, you find that some plants that people in America are, are saying are poisonous or saying that it might not be healthy for you are some of the favorite plants eaten by those people in those other countries. Right. I think and, Polk has that reputation too. Yeah, is that Polk, true? Yeah, Polk is another one. Polk, though, you need to know how to use it. You have to make sure you use the, the green, you know, only the green parts. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a young shoot six inches tall uh, that don't have any red in them because the red is a cyanide. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to get too much cyanide in your system. No, you don't. <laughs> and, the, and the roots are poisonous. So you got to know what you're doing with some of these plants. Yeah. But, yeah. but most of the ones in your backyard, the burdocks, the, uh, the lamb's quarters, the violets, the 
the dandelions, the chicories, the clovers, all of those are edible without any restrictions. Uh, they don't. You don't have to prepare them in any other way. They just go out and, and forage for them. What's your uh, as you're getting into fall? What's your favorite fall backyard wild edible? Right now in the in the fall, uh, let's see. You had to hit, hit me with that one, didn't you? Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> well, lambs, lambs quarters go into November, and we use we all use lambs quarters and lambs quarters seeds into November. Dandelion lasts a long time, and you can use dandelion, you know, in the, into the fall and in, into the winter. Uh, you've got uh, hawthorn berries or hawthorn. Uh, these are very, very. You can make wonderful hawthorn jelly and hawthorn pies from hawthorn berries right now, and also, and that's good for the heart. And also crab apples the mm-hmm. same way. Uh, we use we use both of those. Uh, what else have I got going? Oxalis will still be available. Purslane, I'm still finding quite a bit of purslane out there mm-hmm. uh, that we're using, uh, the, particularly out in the Amish farms out east of us here. We're getting a lot of it from there. Um, yeah, those are, those, are some, those are some of the ones that we're using now. Uh, just, there's none that's specific to the fall that I use, uh, except I'm just trying to think what nuts we're using. Uh, well, none that, are, none that, that come to mind particularly quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those others, the greens that I mentioned, are ones that are still available and still good. Right, that's uh, great. They, they have a long season; they go a long time. Do you um, are you finding um, now with uh, you know as with the economy and skyrocketing food prices that there's a resurgence in interest in? Yeah, uh, there is. There's quite a bit of a resurgence in interest in local foods. First of all, that's true. Uh, and the farmers' markets are coming up everywhere. That's right. And it's amazing the number of farmers, after having heard me at uh, Ohio Ecological Food and Farming Organization, the Organic Farming Conference, uh, many of these farmers are now taking taking uh, wild vegetables to market and giving recipes for them and so on. And so you'll find purslane at the uh, mm-hmm. the local market. You'll find various wild mustards there. Mm-hmm. You'll, you know, you'll find uh, dandelion greens there. Uh, all of these kinds of things are available now. And chicory, uh, chickweed, and chickory. Chickweed in the salad mixes is yeah, big. Ch- yeah, chickweed is is out there now. Mm-hmm. It was at the local farmers market not too long ago, and the farmers are putting out you know bits of information on how to prepare these things, and then giving some samples sometimes. So you're getting you're beginning to see wild foods at farmers markets. Um, have been for a number of years, but they're getting more and more now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. We've been pushing farmers to do that because it's another profit center for their for their farm. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and uh, we, we've told our, our own farmer, and, and some of you listening, if you know some of this information, sometimes you just might want to key your farmer into it because we did that with our – we belong to a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. We have a share – our local farm, and it's when we educated our our local farmer about this that he actually started putting some chickweed into the salad mixes, and he actually uh, occasionally will uh, went, gather bundles of lamb's quarter and even put it out as something extra that somebody can grab if they're in the know. Yeah, and right. Puts yeah. recipes into the uh, local into his little flyer that he gives out. So you know, tell there your you farmers, go. you know, and and yeah. and. Uh, and also, I don't know, Peter, if you've ever told folks this at your classes, but for me locally, because I'm lucky enough to have so many great local organic farms in my area, 
um, places is those are the uh, primo places to go and gather your quote-unquote Absolutely. Weeds. <laughs> Absolutely. And they don't mind. They, they don't mind it. at all. <laughs> yeah, I've, done, I've, done, I've had to do a lot of selling to some of these guys to tell them that, that you can harvest them and sell them yourself. I, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> on lambs quarters, I want to let you know that for many years, Ratto Brothers, and maybe they're still doing it out in Sacramento area, Oakland, Sacramento area, Ratto Brothers is a is a, a, a truck farmer, you know, produce farmer, and he sells lamb's quarters uh, as Belgian spinach. Calls oh. it Belgian spinach and sells it for five ninety nine a pound. Oh, brilliant! Yeah, and, <laughs> I love it. Yes. And gourmet chefs, the gourmet chefs are the ones that grab these things. Oh. Uh, Purslane, Purslane, a few years ago, after the New York Times did a big feature on Purslane and, and uh, you know in, in the restaurants. Uh, in gourmet dishes, uh, they were selling for eleven ninety nine a pound in the California market. Uh, uh, Kuzman and Sons, the commission merchant out there, called me one day, and actually the one here in, in Cleveland called me one day and said, "Do I have any source of purslane? He'd be willing to pay me eight ninety nine a pound for it because it's cleaned and ready to go. Because out in California, they're paying eleven ninety nine a pound. For it. He could ship it out to them and they could do it." And that's just because somebody hit the papers. When I started pushing dandelions around here, there's a whole we could go for days on this dandelion thing. I know, but but uh, <laughs> right now, just one one last story on it. When we started, when we put the book out in 1994, and a bunch of articles out, uh, the uh, uh, local market was only selling about 100 cases of dandelions a week. The the, the the farm not the farmers market but the local food terminal selling about a hundred cases of dandelion greens a week. Uh, within a year after starting to push it in the local plain dealer and other newspapers and in the magazines, uh, they were up to 650 cases of dandelion a week uh, from the whole through the whole season, whole year, from from January to to January, uh, and that had never been done before. Wow. Uh, we, Uh, people had not been writing about dandelions. And that was fascinating to me because most of the herbalists knew that they were good for you, but they weren't writing about it. And one day I talked to to Joyce Wardwell, the gal who wrote Herbal Home Remedy, what's it called? The Herbal Home Remedy book put out by Story Books. Uh, Joyce Wardwell, I asked her why she started writing about dandelions, and she said, you know, after your book came out, uh, many of us, Greg Tilford and herself, mm-hmm. and then Rosemary Gladstar and Susan Weed and some of these others who had, had been timid about writing about dandelions or featuring them, uh, began saying, well, now look, you know, I have, uh, up to that time, they, they didn't have enough background, so if their people asked them, they could tell them. But all of a sudden, the book was there as a Bible, which had in it all the information, the background information, and then I was there as a resource. Mm-hmm. They said, we felt confident now to write the uh, the articles because we knew we had a backup. Mm-hmm. You, know, you were there you know, watching our back. And uh, so they started writing. And, and the work that I had started now had begun spreading all over the country. Uh, it was appearing, dandelion articles were appearing, written by different herbalists in every conceivable magazine and newspaper around the country. And when I was uh, doing, I, I think I started out by saying I was doing these programs 
in uh, for cooking schools, and people would say, well, you know, we hated dandelions, and a few people would come up and say, well, they're great, and those became the defenders of dandelions. <laughs> well, you know, beyond that, the the important thing was that that they not only became defenders of dandelions, but but they uh, you began seeing more and more people at these conferences. And then I'd go to other cooking schools as the years went by. And when I first asked people in, in 1994, you know, what they knew about dandelions, they didn't know anything. They thought they were weeds. By the time 1996 came around, they said, well, I hear they're good for you. By the time 1998 came around, they were saying, oh, we're, we're eating dandelions now because we've, you know, we've learned that they're good for you. So the, uh, the general level of understanding of the value of dandelions increased readily as people started publishing articles in a variety of, of media and talking about them on television and, and radio. Uh, and so as the years went by, the, the level of understanding increased. What happened back after World War II was that people uh, who had been eating dandelion all through the Depression uh, started asking their kids to go collect dandelions as they used to. And the kids would come up to Grandma and Grandpa and say, oh, you know, those were things we ate when we were hungry and when we were poor. Now we have money. You know, we don't need to do that anymore. We can buy all this food in the grocery store. And so as the years went by, dandelions stopped having defenders. These people stopped asking their kids, and nobody would, you know, nobody was talking about dandelions. The pesticide companies saw a vacuum. They saw an opening there where they could come in and they could brand dandelions as the, the number one lawn villain in the country. Right. And nobody was going to fight them. Nobody was going to, to contend them. You contend with them. And so what happened when I came on the scene was that all of a sudden the pesticide companies had somebody who was fighting back, who was who was in fact uh, taking the position of the dandelion. And, uh, so they they no longer were, were were pushing out their propaganda in the void. Right. Now they were pushing it out there, and they were they were getting people talking back at them. Oh, good. So, <laughs> and so and so the. Uh, this is what was was necessary. It was, what we need on the case of all of these plants, violets and purslane and all these others, are people who are talking, who are who are spreading the word uh, to the country, uh, to the common people who are going out and buying vegetables at the grocery store, that these plants that they've been told all this time are weeds, aren't weeds at all. They're vegetables and they're medicines, and that you need to get to know them. And here's what you here's what they're good for. Mm. And that's exactly what we've been doing. Uh, our, our, my job has been to do that. Uh, the same with John Kalis and Christopher and, and Steve Brill and all of these others that are you know, doing this pretty much full time. Uh, our job is, is to make people aware, is to, to let people know that there's another side to that story. So let's, uh, let, let's dig deep into the archives of uh, On the Trail of the Volunteer Vegetable and uh, resurrect them on Herb Mentor. I think it'd be a great idea. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Yeah, well, <laughs> See, I've got I've got a bunch of columns. <laughs> I've got a bunch of columns that that ran for ten years that, that give you background on all these plants, and I have much more information than a pen yeah. those columns. <laughs> and so what I'll do is I'll give them to you and let you let you push those things out there, and let's get all the herb better uh, you know, partners that uh, our partners in herb better. Uh, uh, let's. Uh, 
let's give them the, the, the tools that they need to go out there and defend these plants too. And like you said, there are, you know, especially when they're hearing from somebody who not just teaching this, but has been doing this for 50 years. And oh. to hear you speak today was, was, was so awesome for me because I really could connect with you on that level of, yeah, that's what I've been, that's what got me into this 20 <laughs> years ago. And, oh, yeah. and to talk to somebody who's been doing it since, you know, for 50 years, I mean, just yeah. thank you so much for the work you've done in the world. I mean, it's Well, you're welcome. It's, it's been huge. my pleasure. It's a, it's a joy to do this work. And it's a joy to see people pick up on it, you know, and start becoming healthier because they're using these plants. Well, Dr. Peter Gale, the king of dandelions, thanks so much for joining us today on Herb Mentor Radio. And we really look forward to hearing more of you here because I only got to like half my question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's do it again. And, uh, let's get, schedule another time and we'll come back on. Sounds great. And, and we'll do another hour or so. And we'll, awesome. we'll have some fun with it. And I'll start getting you some of those articles and we'll... We'll start playing with it and see what we can do and, with it. Meanwhile, let's make sure that all of our listeners know, uh, or our readers know, uh, that they can find out more about this uh, two ways. One is www.dandyblend.com uh, uh, mm-hmm. or dandyblend.biz, you know, both of them you check with. And then my blog is www.edibleweeds.com. And that's linked to the dandyblend.biz and the dandyblend.com, so you can get to it from there. And awesome. that's, it's not been kept up for a while, but it does give you my basic philosophy and my background, and you'll, you'll find a lot of information in there that might be useful. That, it, just, just for your information, that's where I store stuff. Awesome. When I write something, when I, when I wake up at 3 in the morning and I write something <laughs> that I want to keep so that I'll have it available when, I'm, when I rewrite my book, uh, the, to the third edition, that's where I store it. So there's a lot of repetition in it because there's different ways I want to say the same thing. Awesome. Uh, but but I think it, it'll you'll find it very useful if you if you sort of skim through it and, and pick out the stuff that's useful. Well, on herbmentor.com, we'll link people to those pages. So yep. um, thank you so much, and we'll see you again, Peter. You're welcome. We'll talk to you soon. Herb Mentor Radio on herbmentor.com is a production of learningherbs.com. Visit learningherbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio, copyright learningherbs.com, all rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.